Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. It is Coach Nick here, and this is the B-Ball Breakdown. So happy to have you with us on SB Nation Radio on this lovely Tuesday evening. Hopefully it is warm in your area. If it's not, I'm sure it will be soon. It certainly is nice over here in L.A. And we have a lot to talk about this evening, about the NBA playoffs. It's finally upon us. We've been talking about it for weeks and anxiously anticipating what was going to happen, and we finally have some data to look at. I've been breaking down two videos a day since Sunday, and man, is my mind mush at this point. So we've done plenty of stuff. We've already looked at a couple of the games uh, with the Warriors. Excuse me, we did one video on the Warriors. We did a video on the Blazers and how Anthony Davis just MVP'd all over the Trailblazers uh, in in an exciting game for him. And this is his chance to finally prove to me that he is an MVP caliber player. Uh, I'm not, I haven't been quite sold on him yet, but he looked really good in game one and pretty much help them decide that game. Uh, we covered the Ben Simmons explosion in game one, and then we had a Dwayne Wade resurrection in game two. So we've actually had two breakdowns in that, on that one series alone, uh, and then we squeeze in a Pacers uh, drubbing of the Cavaliers. Now, I know it got a little bit close toward the end, but that uh, opening segment, opening first quarter, uh, got, gave them a 20 or a 22-point lead that the Cavaliers could never overcome. And so uh, there is concern in the Cavaliers land that not only could this be a first round exit for LeBron because there just didn't look good uh, but then that might be it for LeBron. He might get a wandering eye and want to leave, uh, which would be a, a, a even more traumatic for Cleveland again, having ha- lost him once, and they might leave him again. But maybe they won't feel so bad because he's already won them one championship and got them f- to four straight finals. Uh, and while we've seen the Warriors struggle with that notion of the disease of more, where it's just harder and harder every year to get back there, and, but they've won a couple of them, uh, the Cavaliers are in the same boat. Uh, and even though they have a very small group of uh, players who have actually done it, you know, I think they got down to four now who are coming back from last year's success. It's uh, still a thing, and LeBron is still going to have to really uh, be a, have a Herculean task ahead of him to overcome what the Pacers are throwing at him. So. Stay tuned. Lots of great stuff coming up. i got two or three other fantastic guests to come on and join me. So don't go anywhere after these messages from our sponsors. And this is the B-Ball Breakdown. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. 
Welcome back, sports fans. As always, I am Coach Nick, and I cannot thank you for being here at the B-Ball Breakdown every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And I'm really excited to get in some playoff analysis because we hadn't started last week with the playoffs, and let's really focus on what's happening in these different series. We have a number of guests on to discuss it and break it down. And our first guest today is friend of the breakdown, Eli Horowitz who is a Caltech assistant coach and covers the WNBA and has been watching some of the playoffs pretty intently. So, Eli, thanks for joining us. Let's talk some Spurs Warriors. What do you say? Absolutely. Thanks for me, Coach Nick. You got it. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this thing. It's now 2-0. The uh, Warriors have a pretty commanding lead. But uh, what are your thoughts so far and what Pop has been doing uh, to combat the uh, star power in Golden State? Well, it was interesting. After the game last night, Pop said he thought they played well, and I feel like he almost was kind of throwing up his hands um, because, you know, they tried everything. Um, but, you know, one thing I did notice was they really played Danny Green only 25 minutes, and they were winning at halftime. But in the second half, Clay Thompson just went off, and you had Bryn Forbes and a lot of smaller guards kind of trying to chase him over screens, off of downs, and he seemed to just kind of get whatever he wanted. So I, I was a little surprised to see that. I, I don't know what your thoughts on, were on that. Uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, without Steph Curry, uh, a lot of the pressure goes to Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, and it's it's a little clunky. I mean, their offense isn't really functioning uh, very like perfectly, I would say, for them. So, uh, I mean, the question then becomes: Clay obviously got into big head mode. So, I don't know if it matters if Danny Green would have been on it, but you you have a very good point because uh, Forbes is clearly too small to really have much of an effect. Absolutely, and then I mean. You know, Iguodala was four for five from three. Um, Draymond Green hit an open three late in the game. So, I mean, when those guys are making threes, I, like you said, I don't know if there's anything they do or how much of a difference um, Danny Green would have really made. Right. I, I think it was a great uh, game plan, I think, by Pop to, to try and get Draymond to shoot as much from the outside as they could get him. And they were really doing it. You saw a lot of uh, his man helping one pass away and just sort of inviting them to throw it to him. And he was even sort of like waiting for a second before he decided to shoot it. Now it's the, that's the death of a jump shot anyway. So I thought that that was really helpful to keep uh, the wrong people shooting uh, on the Warriors from the from the Spurs perspective. But uh, yeah, I does feel like they, they kind of are, are turning are throwing him the towel, towel at this point because even after the first game when Pop was joking that he'd have Danny Green grow four inches and uh, tell Katie to not be as good, it just seems like there, there's not a lot of options for them. Absolutely. And, and the bottom line is, you know, like you said, they did have a good game plan. I think they limited the Warriors to, I, I believe it was 19 around the rim, um, but they only got 22 themselves. And other than Aldridge post-ups, they really don't have anyone who can consistently blow by, um, blow by a Warriors defender. You know, Manu Ginobili still somehow is able to do so a bit, but if you're kind of relying on him as the only one to get middle penetration to either get get a, a bath in the paint or kick it out for a three, I think you're in you know in trouble. 
I agree. I agree. And so I think this will probably end up being a sweep or maybe a gentleman's sweep for the Warriors, which is probably good for them because they'll get an extra couple of days for Steph to recover. Uh, although the prognosis didn't sound great. It sounds like he's still at least three weeks away as of yesterday. So we'll have to keep our eye on how that plays out in San Antonio. But let's move over to the Timberwolves-Rockets series because uh, there's a lot of people with their, their arms up in the air and frustrated, I think, about what's going on with the Minnesota side, at least. What are your thoughts so far and how that series is playing? It was interesting because, yeah, you saw on Twitter a lot of people up in arms about the lack of touches Carl Anthony Towns was getting. And then even the Chris Webber on the broadcast and the TNT crew were kind of up in arms because the Rockets switch everything and they felt like, you know, they need to, the Wolves need to throw the ball into Towns and even Gibson, they were calling for. Um, so it, it is a bit puzzling, um, especially I, I get the Rockets will live with Gibson posting up, but Towns getting what nine shots Sunday um, in a game they could have won. You know they were there the whole time. Um, is a bit puzzling. Um, I, I don't know. Did you think they should really be be kind of exploiting those mismatches on the switches more? Well, it's funny that you ask that since I am working on a video on that uh, as we speak. And part of the issue, I think, is that uh, they're being really physical with Towns, and he is not handling it very well. He doesn't have a lot of strength in the lower body anyway, but they're pushing him around, and he's kind of just disconnecting. And it's really kind of frustrating to watch when you see that. I also think that... um, you know, like down the stretch, the last seven minutes of the game, when he when he went in for the fourth quarter, he got one shot, and that, that's an issue that has to do with you know Jimmy Butler and with um, uh, Andrew Wiggins. But I think the other problem they have is is Jeff Teague. And I think that Jeff Teague is one of those guys that kind of sort of makes it seem like, oh, he's really good, he's really going to help. But in reality, I feel like he is simply a very average point guard that's not going to – It's gonna. I think he's the guy that ends up holding them back the most. Yeah, and I noticed down the stretch, um, he did make a couple shots, but the ball was really in his hands. And you, you kind of wonder, who, you know, I almost question like who – are they running plays? Who Who's supposed to have the ball in these moments? Because, like you said, it, it's Jimmy Butler, it's, it's Teagues, but somehow it's not Towns. And then Wiggins tries to make plays, and it's really very little off-ball movement. And then when they go to the bench, it's, it's almost more the same problem when you have Jamal Crawford and Derrick Rose really doing a lot, of, a lot of hero ball, a lot of iso ball. Absolutely. It's a weird offense, and you think that we've heard in the past how, like, you know, uh, Thibodeau is really focused on the defense, and so the offense becomes, gets a, like a back seat, which is weird. It's definitely a flip of what normally happens at the NBA level. Uh, I gotta take a really deep dive and look at what they're doing offensively, but yeah, there's something about, like, you know, a really good point guard comes down, gets into a set, makes sure that they get the right shots for the right players. Like, it, it shouldn't happen where Carl Anthony Towns gets one attempt, uh, down low. Now, part of it is, is that he's just sort of shying away from contact and doesn't want to command the presence and uh, there certainly was plenty of evidence in the beginning of the game where they were trying to set a p- uh, pick and roll, get a switch and then back him down and they wouldn't find him or they throw it to him late. Uh, so it, it, it's an issue that I think could be solved with a little bit of uh, film work and a practice or two or a shoot around so I would expect that in game two the dude's going to get 20 shots, wouldn't you? I, I would hope so but it's like it's a problem I know people in you know, Wolves Twitter and kind of calling out all season ah. you know so, so is Tibbs going to adjust I mean I guess we'll find out I would imagine that's one adjustment he could handle although who knows and I used to revere uh, Thibodeau to the nth degree 
And I, I mean, the thing that rubs me the most, I think, wrong with the way it, with him is just sort of the style and the constant bellowing and yelling and, and, and disgust on his face and the frustration. I just think it wears on the team, and it's possible that like they might have just sort of tuned it out by now. And certainly, their defense isn't what it used to be as far as what he used to coach, like in the with the in Chicago. I mean, this has never been a, a an elite elite defense, and so that's the other issue that he's not getting that out of them either. Absolutely. I mean, as someone who's from Chicago and, you know, watched all the Bulls games in his tenure there, I mean, you see some of the schemes he's trying to employ, but, I mean, you, you definitely don't see the commitment to it or the, the, the consistent effort level across the roster. Right. And you're just not going to win. I mean, they're the 27th ranked defense all year. That's not going to change suddenly, especially against the Rockets. Not, but I was impressed, though. They kept it close. This is, the, in theory, you know, you think that they would get blown out with a kind of defense like that. So they did okay. Uh, but again, how long do you think it's going to last? How many games before the uh, Rockets to uh, win the series? I, I would call it a sweep. Um, Harden just looks so locked in. They had absolutely no answer for him. I mean, they, they were even trying Derrick Rose on Harden, which is a whole – that could be a whole other conversation. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, they were already that desperate in game one. You know what I mean? For sure, for sure. Well, Eli, thank you for coming on the show to break this stuff down. Anxiously, we're going to keep our eyes on to see what's going on and how that happens. If you want to follow uh, Eli, it is at Coach Horowitz13. And he's got a lot of great information about the WNBA, too. I know it's a, it's a big hole in the uh, content uh, that people need to get filled, and you are there for that. So thanks for coming on. You'll have to come back on again. Absolutely. Thank you. You got it. And stay tuned, sports fans. We will be right back with our next segment on the B-Ball Breakdown. If you're listening to this and feeling a bit old and out of touch with this young generation of ball players, you might be in the age range where we commonly see sexual performance issues. Did you know that 40% of men by age 40 struggle from those dreaded two letters, ED? You know what they stand for. And now there's real science to turn your fortune completely around. 4hims.com is your solution. A complete one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. They have well-known generic equivalents to the name brand prescriptions to help you combat ED. In fact, one pill, starting with a V, just came off its patent recently. A real game changer. So avoid those embarrassing doctor's visits with all the invasive questions. Instead, get erectile without the dysfunction. Go to 4hims.com slash coachnickED and get hymns for a month for just $5 while supplies last. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. So don't wait. That's 4hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Coach Nick E-D. See website for full details and get back on the path to sexual performance. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back, sports fans. Uh, excited to have you here on a Tuesday, Playoff Tuesday, where a lot of games are underway right now. It's been a really exciting uh, time so far. It just We're only in day four of the playoffs, and yet it's already been a lot of different storylines. The Jazz haven't quite been doing what I thought they were going to do yet in that first game against OKC, but we'll see what happens with them tomorrow. And a lot of other intriguing stories 
storylines. Hope you're here with us with our first couple segments where we had a great discussion about a couple of the playoff series with uh, the Warriors and then the Spurs against, and then also on the other side with the uh, Houston Rockets and the Timberwolves. So I'm really excited right now, though, to bring on uh, best friend of the breakdown, Tommy Tempesta, who uh, we spend a lot of time interacting on Twitter, and everyone seems to get a big uh, uh, enjoy what we do together as we basically analyze the biomechanics of what's happening on the court with NBA players. And Tommy is the founder of Basketball Biomechanics. You can follow him at BB, excuse me, B Biomechanics, and uh, it's a terrific follow. I highly recommend it because he has a lot of great um, information and um, f- for you as far as functional movement. He actually is the rare person that I know who can apply biomechanics with actual basketball-specific training. So uh, enough of the intro. Tommy, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. It's great. You know, we interact so much on Twitter without actually speaking that it's weird to actually talk to you uh, in, with voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're, I'm in New York now about to get ready to do a, uh, a court session, and we're still hovering around 50, so I'm I'm pretty sure you're nice and cozy out there in L.A. Yeah, weather. yeah. I, I hate to make yeah. you feel uh, any colder than you already are out here. <laughs> As I sat, I sat outside eating uh, my lunch and getting some rays, but uh, it'll warm up pretty soon, I'm sure. Um, which, yep. by the way, I think you know the warmer weather gets everyone a little bit looser. They can start moving better. They're back uh, and more flexible, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> with that warmer lot of uh, outdoor hill training where we do movement things up and down the hill and uh, stair training and track training and bring that back to the court and also incorporate the beach for soft sand and stability. So the spring summer is a really, really busy time for myself and my company. So I really enjoy it a lot. For sure. And I think what I enjoy most about talking with you is to sort of dissect what's happening. And, like, you know, you'll see a player in the open court go up and sort of either, you know, uh, catch an edge of his shoe or not quite explode in the air. And you're on top of it uh, to sort of explain what is going on uh, with their mechanics and why it wasn't as optimal as it is. And I wonder if, you know, when I travel around the country and I interact with a lot of coaches, it doesn't seem like a lot of the basketball coaches themselves have really any sense of what the functional movement of the body is supposed to be or have any idea how to even teach that. Is that, is that your – do you agree with that as well? Uh, yeah, I find that, that there's, there's multiple uh, roles that some may understand it in uh, a specific uh, organizational role, but then there's just – it's lost through just the fact that four or five people will cover certain things and then it, they won't bridge that together – for an athlete to then not have those issues on court. And, for instance, the Derrick Rose uh, open, open, you know, fast break, uh, I guess you could say layup temp, temp, a little bit of rise because it just looks like he is able to redirect some energy on that, that, that gathers. Now, could it be from the end down of the season? Could it be from not doing certain things in the off season? Sure. Um, but it should not. I feel like it should not be happening as much as it as it does uh, in games where, where you know, I'm I'm kind of highlighting it for a reason. And uh, you know, I do find that is that gap, and that gap kind of needs to close for guys to still stay elastic and redirect energy and recoil energy, even late into the playoffs and and at you know at the end of the season. So. It's something to definitely speak on and, and try to figure out how we can move forward and progress that. 
Yeah, and Derek Rose is a great example because he's had multiple knee injuries on both knees and major surgery, and there's a lot of rehab involved, but then I think a lot of the issues with the NBA guys is they'll do their rehab, they start to feel good, and they stop doing it, and next thing you know, they're getting out of whack, they're getting uh, sort of off balance, or they're not strengthening the way they need to, or the rehab itself might not even be as cutting edge as it needs to be or as uh, specific as it needs to be, because I feel like it isn't part of the danger of quote-unquote rehab is that it's sort of a little cookie-cut and that people just kind of do, everyone does the same exercises when it might not be the most optimal for them? Yeah, I mean, there there are those that, that there's definitely that demographic and those section and offs where, you know, rehab, they, people think rehab is rehab and then you're going to go to a performance trainer and then that's where that lost in translation kind of thing and there's, there's no continuum. But I know there's plenty of highly educated professionals in the NBA as far as strength conditioning guys and performance guys that do uh, address said needs, but as we know in the season, teams rarely practice, and it's very and they're doing more of a maintenance type protocol because they can't load players as much as they like. But the NBA has gone toward more of a recovery uh, deload kind of progression and protocol for in season, and that's why we see some of these players completely lose strict nature of jumping and recoil towards the tail of the season and then we'll notice definitely players that still have their that bounce so to speak and uh, some of those players are just because of genetically their tendon junctions where it meets the muscle might be more stiff and, and better off and, and, and be able to deal with all these games and minutes and some players may need slightly more loading and maybe less playing time and kind of try to load and still keep and maintain certain parameters and not just let it fall off and then deteriorate, you know, teams winning games. So... Absolutely. And uh, don't forget, this is Coach Nick, and you're on the B-Ball Breakdown right now on SB Nation Radio. And my guest today is Tommy Tempesta, who is the founder of Basketball Biomechanics. And if you can follow him at B-Biomechanics. And, you know, another guy I wanted to talk about, I know we discuss, about, uh, discuss him a lot, is Carl um, Anthony Towns. Because and it's funny because I've seen him jump and get his you know mid forearm up at the rim and so he's got a lot of bounce but I feel like you and I both have observed a lot of issues with his uh, alignment his knees and the way they are aligned with the hips and the ankles and uh, I was wondering can you give us some insight into what you're seeing there and why so much energy tends to be bleeding from that? Yes, and we you know we both really appreciate Cat for who he is and what he is. We I just. Uh have somewhat of an issue with the body mass distribution. He's quite heavy, heavier, relatively speaking, up top, and it kind of tapers off to his hip and then knee, ankle, foot. And the first thing to contact and redirect everything from the ground up is your feet. And his feet need work. He needs to take those sneakers off, and he needs to uh, deal with forces on on some harder surfaces, not, not wood surfaces, but, you know, uh, gymnastic-type wrestling mat surfaces and, and maybe some sand, soft training, and even grassy hills where he has to deal with forces from the ground. And that would correct a lot at certain speeds, and uh, it would help things go up his kinetic chain a, a bit better. And no matter how strong you get up top, it, it really doesn't matter if the, the foot, knee, and hip can't attenuate that force because we've seen him get pushed uh, so to speak a uh, wet spaghetti, a cooked piece of spaghetti where 
pushed at his shoulder, and he bends at the weight sideways because his foot, uh, foot and ankle really isn't doing much. So, you know, that's something that, you know, we can definitely find definitely on another, another broadcast, but he definitely needs to redistribute some of that body mass and wake those feet up because I definitely noticed that they're, they're a bit, they're a bit sleepy. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny because I think that's the, uh, an overlooked area of the body for anybody who's training is, is the feet themselves. And I know like I'm doing Pilates a lot. And what I love about it is that we'll do, uh, you know, leg press on my back, but like with on my heels and then on the midfoot, then on the ball of my foot and again, constantly changing the position of the foot is so that all of a sudden you are now, you know, gaining a better strength and more balance like in the, in the base. It seems like that's, that would be the most important part of any basketball player's uh, ability. Exactly. And you have to, what, what you're doing is you're increasing sensory uh, input to certain areas of the foot. And thought and mistake, you know, after how old we are as a, as a baby, we're already fitted for shoes. So, you know, you have to think and, and digress the thought and, you know, reverse engineer a bit and say, if sneakers were put on to protect the foot, that's great because you also lose some sensory input from the sole of the foot and from the ankle and the, the mobility of the ankle and how the foot intrinsic muscles work and how the toes grab the ground. And, you know, it goes to show even from some track athletes that run, those spikes are very, very thin. They're not bulky, and they actually give you a very good awareness of your foot and ankle relative to the, the track surface. So, you know, with that being said, I've done tons of work barefoot with most Brown, who's seven foot two. And one of the reasons why he moves like a guard and moves fluidly is because one of the things I did the first time I met him was take him to a grassy hill, take his shoes off and make him move and deal with forces and have to adjust to different external forces and maybe some band work up the hill, sideways back and down the hill. Um, you know, even with that weird hydro vest I have that has water in it, constantly perturb his sensory system to enable him to then move better on a basketball court. So, you know, those are some novel ways that I, I do things and, and base my methods on. For sure. And then there's no question when you share uh, videos of your training methods and people are always they might scratch their heads what they're looking at. But it seems clear that the ability to uh, recognize visually recognize the the uh, environment around you and then also to adjust to how things will change, even if it's something that you're using externally, uh, like on the beach, uh, directly affects how they can then process that on a basketball court and be ready to accelerate or change their balance or change their position. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. And you definitely got to check out B Biomechanics on Twitter because it's a really lear good learning experience. Tommy, thanks for joining us. We'll have to have you on again soon. Pleasure, Nick. Appreciate it. You got it. And stay tuned, sports fans. We'll be right back on the B Ball Breakdown. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. Welcome back to the B-Ball Breakdown. Excited to have you here on this lovely Tuesday evening. As always, I am Coach Nick. Every Tuesday I'm here at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for an hour with you to break down the NBA in every which way we can. 
Just had a great segment with my buddy Tommy Tempesta of B Biomechanics. That's on Twitter. A really interesting discussion on the biomechanics of the players in the NBA and what holds them back or what makes them so good. You probably will watch the game differently from now on. Now that you realize how important the feet are and how uh, bleeding energy from the knees and the hips is a, a real thing. So we'll have to start looking at more of the playoffs now as we go forward. A lot of interesting uh, storylines popping up here. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring on best friend of the breakdown, James Holis, who is a writer for bballbreakdown.com and just wrote a fantastic article about the Jazz and the OKC uh, experience uh, or playoff series. So definitely go check that out at B-Ball Breakdown. And he's also the co-host of the Dunk Tales podcast. So, James, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, Coach. I appreciate it. You know, it's always I'm always down to talk some basketball. That's right. We're going to chop it up right now. So um, what are we going to talk about first? We were just discussing before the show. My mind is now blanking. We were going to talk about which series? Oh, uh, we can do – I mean, it's your pick. We can do uh, Celtics and Bucks. We can do – we can talk about uh, the Heat and uh, their, their surprise loss. Okay, let's uh, do all that. About- let's, talk about, let's talk about the Cavs for one second, can we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, because like I got into it over on Twitter with uh with my buddy Mike Zavano, who uh, is a is a Cavs freak uh, and knows everything in, in sideways and backwards about them. But uh, basically, you know, that first quarter uh, was a blowout for the the uh, Pacers, and the game, while it got a little bit tighter later on, and there was like that inexorable you know uh, pursuit by the Cavs, it never really became that much in doubt. Um, what are your thoughts here now that the uh, the Cavs are actually down and, and have now lost the home court advantage? We talk a lot about how the Celtics brought back four players from last year's team. Uh, the Cavs are up there, right? I mean, it's it's basically LeBron and uh, you know Jared Smith and Kevin Kevin Love and, and you know what Tristan's not really playing. Doesn't seem like he's getting a lot of minutes. So they they've had a complete roster overhaul too. And uh, you know LeBron he's playing awesome. Kevin Love is awesome, but there's a thing where sometimes teams can play too cool, and I think sometimes that's where that's where the Cavs are. They weren't ready for the Pacers to come out and just sock them in the mouth, and it's easy to bounce back. Um, we, we've we've questioned their defense all year, and it, everything came to rise. They just you know, hey, Pacers got in transition and got anything they wanted when they picked up the pace. So um, you know, Victor Oladipo plays with a great pace and energy that he didn't show early in his career. And, and, and he's tough to stop. I don't think they have anyone on the roster who can really guard him. So they're going to have to throw bodies at him and hope everybody else, uh, no one else can make plays again. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd be really concerned if they had to play LeBron 44 minutes in a blowout uh, and they had to play him the first, I think, 14 straight minutes of the game just because the game had gotten so out of hand. They also had him, so not only are they playing him almost all the minutes, but they played him on Oladipo. They put him there to try and contain him early. It, it wasn't uh, the worst thing, although Oladipo got him on one, like, just disrespectful ISO, backed him up, and then just went at him and pulled up for three. But that's just, that, that doesn't seem like – I it just looks like uh, LeBron was already winded early in the second quarter, and I just don't know how that's going to hold up through the rest of the series. Yeah, there was a there was a on the TV show when they showed them. I think they were down seventeen, and LeBron just looked gassed. He was already was drenched in sweat, and the look on his face was already of exhaustion. And this comes to bear. Sure, he's a, he's playing better than anybody his age with his kind of mileage has any right to. Play. But he's, I mean, Father Time is still undefeated, and sure, LeBron's winning. You know, he's still winning in the later rounds, but it's this is not twenty eight year old LeBron. Uh, and then they really missed Kyrie Irving. They replaced him with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas didn't work out, so they replaced him with George Hill and, and Jordan Clarkson and, and Rodney Hood, which is all well and good. But sometimes you need a, 
another high-level player, just one individual guy who can kind of break defenses. And they don't have that other player beside LeBron James. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen. You know game two is going to going to start, and the Cavaliers are going to hammer them early, and everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, we remember these are the Cavs. They're going to win and stuff like that. So I, I kind of feel like that's sort of the, what's going to happen here. But it, it definitely feels like the Pacers have uh, have a lot to offer, and they, they've been a surprise team all along, all year long, and they're deep, and they have a lot of guys that can contribute. Um, and the question now is, is like, you know, Bogdanovich, he fronted LeBron in the post, and they really had no answer to get the ball down low to him. And I think that's the other problem is that LeBron seems to have an issue with being able to either like be aggressive with the ball and like either create a shot or create a pass or he'll simply just, you know, uh, disengage and be like, I'm just going to stand here in the corner. So I had a shot in the breakdown I did of them. He was in the corner. He was so deep in the corner that I, you couldn't even see him. He literally like blended in with the, with the uh, bench and just stood there, didn't move for almost the whole possession. And I, it's frustrating because he hasn't been able to find a balance between being aggressive and then letting the other players find their way. Well, I mean, other than Jordan Clarkson, though, and, you know, Rodney Hood and Spurts, there's no one else on the team who really do that. You know, Jared Smith can every now and then come out of the weeds and hit a couple of tough, ridiculous shots. Uh, Clarkson is going to come out and be aggressive looking to score. But, I mean, that that's for 15, 20 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. And that's to get second units. This is where, you know, hey, you can only break down a roster so much and, and take away so much. And and uh, even even this, this team is still uh, – they're still as susceptible to the disease of more as any other team. And this is, they're aiming for a fourth straight finals, you know, at the core is. So it, all this stuff takes a toll minutes and just uh, familiarity, breeze contempt, all this stuff kind of, I mean, Hey, they made the big roster change right before the all-star break and there was a little surge and they kind of fell right back into their old habits. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. This is, um, I'm not saying it's the end of LeBron James and his time in Cleveland and maybe Cleveland just, you know, they write the chip in game two and they just, they burn up the uh, Pacers. But, I mean, that's not like a LeBron James team to be unprepared for the first game of the playoff. Yeah, totally not. And yet, here's where they are. So uh, keep your eye on that game, too. It's going to be a real interesting thing what happens because, obviously, they cannot afford to go down to love. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, let's move over to another playoff series here. Uh, how about the Celtics and the Bucks? We had a pretty spirited game, and right now they're in the middle of the, of the game as, as we speak. So uh, what are your thoughts on how that matchup is uh, is going to play out? And is this game, is this series going to be close? So here's the thing about this series. I, uh, I'm a Celtics fan, but, you know, I try to put bias to the side. And I looked at it and said, hey, Milwaukee has the best player in the series. They probably have, you know, between him and Middleton, Gian, him being Giannis, Giannis and Middleton, they probably have two of the top three players in the series. Um, and, the, you know, they're, they've, they've been a playoff team before. I, can, I I thought maybe Boston was finally depleted enough where Giannis would be the, the, the backbreaker. Well, I maybe I underestimated Brad Stevens again, and it's all about the discipline. Still, it's so disciplined. Other than that one bad stretch in the uh, that one bad stretch in the second quarter when they just turned the ball over like it was fun, and that one stretch at the end of the game where they let, they let the uh, Bucks erase a ten point lead mm-hmm. and you know go to overtime. Celtics controlled the game, and it, you know let's see what kind of adjustments uh, you know the was it Prunty Prunty can make. And I don't I don't know. Yeah, I've been told before by even by Bucks guys, hey, this team is just they don't play very smart, and they didn't play very smart uh, last game. 
Right. And I mean, it was an epic game, I got to tell you, because it went right down on the wire in Middleton. They, they, they were uh, up by three with uh, half a second to go, and they let Middleton just sort of catch it and throw it up there. That was a little bit strange. But you, you can't say enough about Terry Rozier. I mean, that guy ended up with 23 points uh, on a variety of really difficult shots. Um, not that we're, we're going to forget about Kyrie at all, but certainly you get that kind of production. I'm sure Brad Stevens is ecstatic. After that slow start, Rozier didn't start the game well at all, and he finished very strong. You got to give so much credit to the Celtics' development and even their drafting, because I wasn't happy with the Rozier pick when they, you know, initially picked him, and he's turned into a quite of a quite a, like a heck of a player. Um, but yeah, so many guys stepped up for Boston, and uh, Stevens played a heck of a game as far as rotations, getting guys in position. Uh, and that team's really in tune with each other. Like Al Horford really destroyed Giannis in the post, and then when they started sending double teams. Off the uh, the weeks that guys knew, hey, if I cut to the hole right now, Al Horford's going to find me. And he got he got a, a good dunk for uh, Brown, and he ended up getting a layup for Brown late in the game when it, you know the rubber meets the road. So this is um it's quite a series. And if the Bucks don't make the proper adjustments, which they got to find a way to get Giannis the ball, uh, other than just having you know ISO and, and let him try to go at Al Horford. Al did a great job moving his feet. So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what kind of counter counters the Bucks come with in game two. I agree. I, I'm frustrated, and I've been frustrated all year for years now with the offense and how it just doesn't create space uh, for Giannis to be able to try and attack. And uh, whether it's Henson who's kind of hanging around the, the post and his man gets in the way, even when they have shooters out there, for whatever reason, the way they balance the floor and execute their offense, it just seems like he's constantly running into a second or a third player uh, without the ability to kind of attack on the catch and uh, find the gaps. And so, uh, and yet, uh, uh, besides all that, he still went for 35 and he went 13 for 16 from the line and he had seven assists and 13 boards. So the guy is still doing it, but. You just can't help but think there's a little bit more they can get out of that, which would then lead to some more victories. Um, I, and I think that Jabari Parker is a guy that they absolutely have to have uh, find a way to get him more shots. Oh, here's the thing about Jabari Parker. He looks really good. He looks like one of those primetime scorers. And I thought the same thing, but we talked. I talked to a lot of Bucks guys who he actually he's so bad defensively, and uh, he showed it yesterday, uh, last game against the Celtics. He's so bad defensively that you know people are wondering if they can even keep him on the floor. Um, if he's not scoring, he's not hitting shots, and you know Horford and those guys so disciplined, they met him at the rim a couple of times. That he he provided absolutely nothing. Chris Middleton was plus eleven, and he played like forty six minutes. That means they were the Bucks were outscored by like seventeen points in like the five minutes that Middleton didn't play. Mm-hmm. And I think Jabari is a large part of that. That's it's almost unheard of. Uh, so he didn't provide anything. Him and Eric Bledsoe have to be a lot better. Bledsoe has to be so much better. In game two, because Bledsoe, you know, they brought him in to be that third guy beside Milton and 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 and, uh, and Giannis. Oh yes, and absolutely, he looked like a guy playing in his. I don't know if it's his first playoff game. Uh, I guess he played with the Clippers in the playoffs, but he certainly looked like a guy who wasn't, you know, used to that kind of intensity. Which, by the way, isn't the, the worst thing because in theory, he's got it under his belt. He he did find a little success in and out of the, you know, later in the game that perhaps starting in game two he'll have a little bit more of his feet on the ground. But yeah, there's no question he looked uh, like he had the yips a little bit, uh, and they need that too. If they get a good game out of him, then we're gonna. It should be one one. That's the thing. Uh, later on in the game, he did seem to pick it up a little bit, and he was more aggressive. But like that, that last play with Terry Rozier was so indicative uh, yeah. of maybe what we see with the Bucks when he tried to uh, he tried to guess the play, and he, he thought he saw the action was going for Jalen Brown, so he tried to jump the route, 
and he ended up getting completely burned. And that's that's one thing. But the fact that he just stood there and didn't try to rush out and contest a shot, the Bucks need they need another level of effort if they're going to have a chance in the series. Yeah, I agree. Because you never know what happens as you start to lunge and the guy is, is, is aware of that as he's shooting and might throw him off. But it didn't really seem to matter. So uh, let's move on to our uh, another uh, series if we wrap this up here. The Jazz and the Thunder. I, I had picked the Jazz. Uh, who did you pick originally before the game, the, the series started? Um, I'm pretty sure I picked the Thunder in six or seven. Uh, just for the simple fact that, I, and I know this is, it sounds really uh, hokey and kind of like, uh, you know, maybe it's too simplistic. But when you have the best player in the series, you, you have a really good chance of, of winning this series. I think offensively, uh, OKC has the two best players. As good as Donovan Mitchell is, and we saw that that uh, that Paul George is on another level when he wants to be. And we know Russell Westbrook, when he, his, his mind is focused and he's, he's, ready, he's in attack mode, he's really dangerous. So I, I picked the Thunder in, in six or seven, and, and it all kind of worked out that way. Um, I, I wrote that post for B-Ball Breakdown. Everyone go check it out. And I detail how great Donovan Mitchell has been for the offense as, as an offensive linchpin and how great Rudy Gobert is as a defensive fulcrum. And their discipline is what it's going to be about against the Thunder's undisciplined talent. And, that, and that's what we saw play out in game one. Well, we'll have to wait and see as we wrap up our segment. We have our, our words from our announcers to come up, but I can't thank you enough for coming on, James, and breaking that down. I agree, seven games, but I kind of feel like the Jazz might still pull it out, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But thanks for coming on the show today, and stay tuned. We have one more segment coming up for you on the B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Coach Nick. Don't go anywhere. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. So there you have it, sports fans. I know you guys are all anxious to get back to the games and listen to what's happening between the Wizards and the Raptors and the Bucks and the Celtics. Both uh, two series that should go somewhat deep. I'd imagine they both go six games at least. And then the, uh, the nightcap we have is the Pelicans and the Blazers, which it should be another interesting uh, series because certainly the Blazers are going to want to hold home court and we'll have to find out what happens. But you got to remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel where we have all these sorts of coverage with videos explaining what's going on in the court from a coach's perspective, my perspective. I use a lot of uh, freeze frames and voiceover and slow-mo and you really get a sense of what these adjustments are being made because after all, in the playoffs, that's what these games are. Can you adjust from one quarter to the next? In halftime, are you able to see what's happening and then change your lineups like we've seen a lot of the coaches do so far? to really good results. And uh, that's the other name of the game. Can you readjust after that and figure out what's working and decide whether or not it's worth uh, combating what the other the coach is doing or stick with what you know? So it's got a lot of intriguing storylines. I'm going with the Jazz. I think they're going to win in seven games, even though that might be a, a Game 7 away victory for them. Uh, I don't think it's as rare as it used to be. And uh, that will be one series I'm going to keep my eye on. Certainly the, um, the OKC fans will not be happy with hearing that. The Minnesota and the Houston series is interesting, but I do feel like the Rockets just have too much for them. Uh, and then the Philly-Miami uh, series is going to be another one of those uh, interesting uh, things that's playing out in an interesting way. It's 1-1 with the resurrection of Dwayne Wade, and uh, we think that I'm pretty sure the Warriors are going to sweep the Spurs, it feels like, and they're going to get some much-needed rest while uh, Seth Curry recuperates. And that leaves us in the West, then, with... Um 
that's it. I guess we cover all of them. So that, in a nutshell, is how I feel the first round is going to play out. But don't forget, again, we're doing lots of stuff. I'm doing two videos a day. We're getting podcasts out, uh, multiple podcasts a week. Uh, my bballbreakdown.com website is just chock full of fantastic analysis every day, all the time, over with our friends over at Clutch Points. So make sure that you check out bballbreakdown.com. And don't forget, another thing is that we're, we're here every Tuesday, and I have guests on that come on and offer their expert opinions, and I get to throw in some of my ideas as well. You don't want to miss that. So uh, again, a great show. We had Tommy Tempesta on, who just broke down uh, the biomechanics of movement and why certain guys like Derek Rose might struggle, or even Carl Anthony Towns could get better. Uh, certainly on the defensive end will help. So don't miss all of our content all across the interwebs. You can follow me at B-Ball Breakdown. And don't forget, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win.